0: Good morning. Welcome to the women's Bible study at Redemption Arcadia. So glad that you're here. Uh, You all got super quiet there, so I thought we better start. (laughs) Uh, It's different uh, being in a women's Bible study than in a men's Bible study. And in a men's Bible study, you actually have to tell the men at the tables to start talking. At a women's Bible study, you guys did that on your own without any prompting. And you like exchange names and phone numbers and favorite treats, and it's fantastic that you did that already. So appreciate you getting to know the people at your table. Uh, next week we'll set up four tables uh, because I think we're already a little tight on the three. Um, really appreciate you being here. Excited to uh, have this women's Bible study get launched again at Redemption Arcadia. My name's Tyler. If I have not met you, I am the pastor of worship and communities here at Redemption Arcadia. Uh, which means that I give most of my time towards developing the worship ministry and then also small group ministry. And so uh, part of why I am here is because I'm looking to help develop our smaller groups within the larger body um, at Redemption Arcadia. And so that includes our redemption communities, uh, which are home groups that uh, are led by our RC leaders. So I am um, helping to develop those groups and those leaders. Uh, but also uh, with men's and women's Bible studies, I'm hoping to help to develop some leadership teams that are going to be carrying those ministries uh, for the future. And so I'm um, starting actually with women's Bible study because um, Anne Wheeler and Allison DiServino, uh approached me and said, would you be willing to teach a women's Bible study? And while it is not typical for um, a man to teach a woman's Bible study. It's not. It's also not unusual. Um, there are those that have have done this in the past, and so I appreciate all of your willingness to have me be a part of your group uh, for this eight weeks. And uh, I I used to joke with people that I uh, had had participated in every kind of ministry except for women's ministry, and now I cannot say that any longer um, because I get to hang out with you all for for the eight weeks. Um, Liz and I, my my wife Liz, uh, Liz and I have been here for about a year with our three kids. Um, We have Charlotte, Savannah, and Dallas, and they are uh, soon to be 10, 6, and 2 and so we're really appreciating being a part of the body here my hope is that what we'll do during this eight weeks uh in addition to studying the bible because we're certainly going to study the bible but in addition to studying the bible what i hope that we're going to do is be able to develop a core group of leaders uh, within this bible study of of women who would then carry this ministry uh, on in the future and so we have uh, with us to start out a a leadership team and just wanted to uh, point them out to you so uh, our leadership team for this round uh, consists of my wife Liz. Uh, Liz, do you want to just say hi to everybody? <laughs> well done, well done. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, Stephanie and, yeah. Stephanie Shoemate, and yep, Stephanie, she is, yeah. <laughs> just <signed> it up. <laughs> That's good. The personality is already coming out. That's good. Um, and Stephanie's on our staff here at Redemption Arcadia. If you've not met her, she's a great person to know. Uh, Alison DiSerfino. there's Allison. yes. Thank you for helping us as well, Allison. Uh, Ann Wheeler, Anne is on our leadership team this go around as well. And Malia Rogers, where did Malia go? There's Malia right there. You were turned around, I couldn't see you. And so this is our leadership team for this eight-week study. Uh, One of the nice things about doing uh, a timed study for eight weeks is that there's kind of an on-ramp and an off-ramp. You don't have to commit to the rest of your life being a part of this uh, women's Bible study, Uh, but you can come for eight weeks, right? And so I think it's actually a nice time period where we can spend eight weeks together, uh, then take a break, and then we'll resume again at some point after that. So we appreciate you being a part of this. And if any of you are interested in being a part of the leadership team for women's Bible study, uh, please do let me know Uh, at some point during this eight weeks, we'd love to get you connected with our leadership team so that then the next go round, you can, you can participate in that, in that way. Um, And, and I will get out of your way and out of your hair uh, as you do that. So uh, we're going to do, by the way, just so you know, we're going to do the same thing with the men's Bible study um, after this as well. We're going to, uh, We're going to set up a a men's leadership team so that there can be um, a a consistent uh, ministry effort there as well in the men's Bible study. So let me pray for us, and then I have a a few other uh, uh, notes and announcements, and then in a couple minutes, uh, Malia is going to come and lead worship for us as well. God, thank you so much for your presence here in our lives and in this place. Uh, we, We appreciate the way that you lead us and guide us by your word and by your spirit, We pray that you'd be glorified in us, your church, during this time. Uh, In particular, Lord, uh, for women's Bible study at Redemption Arcadia, we pray that you would bless it and that you would allow for it to be fruitful for your purposes. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, by the way, this uh, will be recorded each week and, and it'll be on our podcast. And so if, if you do have to miss a week, you're welcome to catch up um, online. And uh, Stephanie is going to be putting that on our podcast. So thank you for doing that, Stephanie. Uh, so that way you can, you can have that available to you as well. I think there's something special about um, women meeting as women of the church and also as men meeting as men of the church. There's something different that happens in a dynamic with uh, just women or just men that maybe doesn't happen in the larger body um, when everybody is together. And that's a part of the reason why I like small groups in general is that there's an opportunity for further discipleship, uh, further study, further prayer, something that uh, sometimes you can't do on, on, on the broad scale in the church, you can do in a smaller group. Um, and there's an opportunity in the small groups, especially for everybody to bring their gifts and their talents and and their passions uh, for, for God uh, to the table and participate in a way that you might not participate in a, in a, in a Sunday morning. So uh, some ways that that may happen here uh, is that you may find that you have a particular passion for specific kinds of things that we'll do in the Bible study, uh, such as prayer or such as fellowship. Uh, I was talking with our, uh, Liz and I are hosting an RC in our home uh, that just launched on Tuesday, and uh, we we were talking about how really the the small groups are a microcosm of the larger church. And so all the things that you would expect to find in the larger church gathering, uh, you would expect to find in a small group as well. Um, a Bible study is a little bit different in that it's, it's, it's geared specifically towards study of the God's word, uh, of God's word. And, and, and we may have fellowship and we may have worship and we may have outreach and we may have service, uh, but Bible studies are specifically geared towards this study of God's word. Uh, whereas an, a small group might have sort of all of those elements represented So what we can expect on Thursday mornings for the next eight weeks, just wanna let you know sort of like what it will look like each week. Generally speaking, uh, for the first five or 10 or 15 minutes, we'll have this kind of fellowship time, time at the table just to be able to catch up, say hello, greet one another, um, continue to get to know each other better. And uh, typically we'll start as soon as everybody's kind of here, like you did today, you were quiet right on time and then we got started, so that was good. Uh, After that time, typically we'll have a a Bible verse that we read together uh, that is intended for us to um, corporately read Scripture together in a way that is proclaiming God's truth over our our lives and also over the session that we have. Uh, Then after that, Malia will lead us in a time of worship. Typically, she's going to lead us in three songs, and so thank you, Malia, for doing that. She's going to do that today as well. Uh, After that, I will do um, a devotional, a teaching from uh, the Word of God. And uh, what we're looking at in that study is eight different interactions that Jesus has with uh, women in the the gospel accounts. And so uh, there there are some scenes that you might say, little silhouettes uh, of interactions that Jesus has with women that I think teach us a lot about who he is. Uh, what he cares about uh, in, in caring for women, uh, what he cares about in terms of calling and identity for women. And I think it's uh, these little silhouettes, these little scenes are really are gonna be helpful for us. So we will look specifically at eight different interactions uh, over the eight weeks of these uh, different silhouettes. And Allison is um, uh, helping me out with, with, with some of the content. Allison has, has talked a lot in the past um, um, at Women's Bible Studies and has been helping out with content as well. Um, And then we're also gonna be doing some application time after the teaching. So I'm gonna be inviting a few of you to come up uh, different times during the eight weeks to be able to help process uh, our application. After the application, there'll be just some table discussion time, that way you all will be able to that you will be able to just sort of go deeper with the people at your t- at your table based on what you heard in the word, uh, the ways that God is stirring your, your spirit, uh, the way the spirit of God is stirring your spirit by what he has said in the word. And so there's an opportunity just to go a little bit deeper in discussion. And then at the uh, end, we will pray uh, for each other uh, in groups of really two or three. Uh, so that way it gives us a, an opportunity to really zero in on specific prayer Needs that we might want to pray for for each other. So that's the plan about our sessions. Uh, sound okay to you all? Super cool. Uh, and again, thank you to Anne and Allison and Malia and Stephanie and Liz for helping me to think through a nice content order for us. Uh, one more thing that you might just consider is that each week there's a reading for the following week. And the hope there is that you'll just get an advance read on what we'll be discussing the next week. Uh, last night at our at our worship uh, theology of worship class, one of the things that we said is that it's actually really helpful for us as believers to prepare personally and privately for what we're going to do corporately. And so there's actually an opportunity when we come to church on Sundays uh, to prepare with a reading ahead of time about what's going to be what's going to be spoken that Sunday or maybe you'll prepare by even listening to songs that we're going to sing you might do that for this Bible study as well. Uh, read ahead for the next week so that you are preparing yourself for what's coming in, in the teaching the next week. And, and many of you probably already read uh, on a daily basis or a weekly basis in the Word of God, but we really want to encourage you to uh, continue to do that in, a, in an increasing way in your life. So that's the overview of what we're, we're doing. With that, uh, there's a verse uh, out of Isaiah 43, 11 to 13 that's in your handout on that first page. And I want us to read this together as a corporate reading, uh, as a corporate declaration of God's truth. Um, the idea here is that, that God is our Savior and nothing else will do. And we tend, to, we tend to try to put all kinds of other things in that place of, of what's going to save us, what we're going to hold on to, what our hope is in. Uh, but this, this passage is helping us to understand that God's, God, is, God is the only possibility uh, as being in that position of Savior over us. So let's read this together. Isaiah 43, 11 to 13. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Amen. So Malia, would you come and lead us in some worship?
1: Should we go ahead and stand, maybe, uh, if you're able and, and want to? I always, I like standing when I'm singing, when I'm worshiping. Um, so the first song that we're going to do, um, you might know we haven't um, done it super often in the big service, um, but I thought it was really important for us to sing these words together to Father I just thank you for this time of worship today Um, what a blessing this was that we can um, plan something and work together for something but that you bring the people and that you're in charge of bringing the people and so we thank you for everybody that's here today um, people that will join us later I just pray that you would be in this room that you would be in the conversation that we have that you would um, build relationships um, Lord and just bring us together Um, I pray that We would hear what Tyler and Liz and everybody that's leading, um, what they have to say, and that you would just use them to um, speak your word, speak your truth, um, and to just help facilitate conversation this morning. Um, We just thank you so much that we get to sing together. I, for one, am super thankful that we get to sing together. So I thank you for the blessing that that was to each of us. I pray that you would just continue to minister this morning. We love you. It's in your name we pray.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Malia, for leading us in worship. So, our first uh, silhouette with Jesus and the women he loved uh, is Jesus and Peter's mother in law. And it comes in Mark chapter 1. And so, if you have your Bibles, let's open now to Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 21. So when I was first starting to prepare uh, for this teaching today, I was looking at a few verses in the middle of this passage that, that were the actual interaction between Jesus and Peter's mother-in-law. But then in, I remembered the wise words of Alison De Serafino And she said, you can't just read those verse. You have to go back. You have to go back to the beginning. And so I, I scooted back about five or six verses to verse 21, and uh, she's famous, by the way, for doing that in staff meetings and and Bible studies and and et cetera, small groups. Um, and I appreciate that because I you really do have to see the whole context of what's happening here uh, in order to understand um, what this interaction that Jesus has with Peter's and mother-in-law, uh, what with, with Jesus has with Peter's mother-in-law. You need to see the whole the whole scene to understand what's going on in the small scene. And so we'll start in verse 21 of Mark 1. And I'm going to read the whole passage through so that we get it in its entirety, and then we'll talk about it after. And then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. so that they question among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever And immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because... They knew him. This is the word of the Lord. I love God's word. So this is a fascinating passage for me. Uh, One, Jesus had just called his first disciples, and so he's just coming into ministry, uh, the the beginning of his ministry. Uh, So he's just started spending time with Simon and Andrew and James and John, and this is one of the first things that we see as part of his ministry. Uh, Mark, by by many accounts, Mark uh, is the first gospel account that is, that is recorded. Most scholars think that Matthew and Luke and John came later than Mark. In fact, much of uh, Matthew is pretty similar to Mark. And many scholars also think that when Mark is written, uh, Peter, Simon Peter has actually re- retold many of these events to Mark. And so one of the reasons that I think this story ends up here in this way, you have all of these demons being cast out in the beginning of the ministry that Jesus is coming with power and authority. And then there's this little silhouette of what's going on with Jesus healing this woman who just happens to be Peter's mother-in-law. And I think part of the reason that this shows up here is because Peter For Peter, this is a personal story. It's something where Peter can say to Mark, this was something that happened immediately as the ministry was beginning with Jesus. He was healing all these people and he was casting out demons and his fame was already growing and there were all the masses and yet he came to our house and healed my mother-in-law. There's there's something there that tugs on my heartstrings in a way that is very personal. For for Peter, this was not something that was just uh, something happening in the land, and that Jesus wasn't something that, that that Jesus wasn't someone who just had authority out there, but he was somebody who had authority in here, personally in a relatable way, and specifically in this story for his, for his mother-in-law. And I take from that just immediately that that. That Jesus cares for us personally, and though, the, though he did come, for God so loved the world, right? Though he does love the world, he cares for us individually. He knows us individually. And I, and I appreciate so much Jesus' willingness here uh, to not just go for the masses, but to show himself as a personal savior, So let's look at the passage a little bit. And they went to Capernaum immediately on the Sabbath. He entered the synagogue and was teaching. So on the Sabbath, Sabbath would have been the last day of the week, uh, which would have been Saturday. Uh, He entered in the synagogue and was teaching. Um, Not just anybody could do this. Not just anybody could do this kind of a teaching in the synagogue, Um, although there was rotating teachers. And so you mentioned here that they were saying uh, he teaches as one That has authority, not like the scribes. In other words, there are other people who would who would teach, but this day there was a better teacher, a greater teacher, and that's one of the things that that we want to acknowledge in this passage is that Jesus is indeed a great teacher. Uh, He's not only a teacher. Many people today want to make him into only a teacher. He was he was a great teacher. That's who he was. He's not only a teacher. He is, as we've said already, the only Savior. But indeed he is a great teacher. And the people that people were amazed at the words that were coming out of his mouth. Now, what I already would like for you to see that is developing is that Jesus, when he speaks, his word creates reality. His, his, his word is truth, his word is reality. And so one of the reasons he's such a great teacher is that his words carry in them themselves the life of, that, that we, we have. His words in themselves created life, sustain life, and gives us life as well. And so Jesus is teaching in a way that has authority, not as the scribes. So immediately there's a difference between the word of God and the word of man. And many of us oftentimes spend our, spend our time running after the words of men or women we, we spend our time running after what others will say. And there's a distinction here in Mark right away that Jesus is teaching as God, as, as, as someone who has this authority, as God himself. That's one of the themes in, in all the gospel accounts is, the, is this idea that Jesus is not just man, but that Jesus is in fact God. And so they were astonished in verse 23 and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. Make no mistake, the demons know who Jesus is. There's no question in their mind about how this all ends. There's no question in their, in their mind about, about the authority of Jesus either. So it's one thing for us to say, Yeah, Yeah, you are God. We have that in this passage, and we have in this passage the powers of darkness saying, we know who you are. You're God. You're the Holy One. This is profound to me that the very first part of his ministry, he's being proclaimed by demons as God himself, as the Son of God you would think that <laughs> you would think that Jesus have, having just started his ministry would have to sort of work his way up to having this kind of an encounter but it happens like that and the reason is is that for many years these demons have been working their kingdom on this earth but the truth is that even they know that it's God's kingdom and not theirs and I appreciate so much this, this being included right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Remember, Jesus had just been tempted in the wilderness. Jesus had just had the temptation of the devil, where, where the devil is asking Jesus to bow down before him. Jesus has already passed that test. So the, so the demons, having not been able to have conquered him in the temptation know that he will pass the test and know that their their doom is sure this is encouraging to me because though we fight a battle in this life even the enemy knows that Jesus wins and sometimes we need some convincing the things that we're going on that go, going through in our lives even today that look like the the darkness is winning Even the darkness knows that Jesus wins in the end. And we can say that, but to know that and experience it is really another thing. And I'm thankful for that that here in this passage and that truth in our our lives. So Jesus rebuked him uh, because Jesus has authority to rebuke. Uh, And says, be silent and come out of him there's an interesting thing here about the silence. I appreciate too that Jesus is saying immediately be silent. In other words don't no longer no, no longer let darkness talk. Because tar- darkness doesn't have the authority. And there are times I think that we'll put up with darkness for a little while in our lives because it 's not that bad or we know that we can put it away later or that we know that we can have control over it at some point it's i 'm not addicted don't worry i, I, I can I can I can quit anytime I want um, it's just, it's just a, a few little it's just a few little words that I said that I shouldn't have but Jesus is saying immediately be silent not letting darkness have any space in his presence, in his life, in, in our lives. And I think that there's a way for us to, to take from this that the Lord would like to, to squash any darkness that we have in our lives. We don't want to let anything fester underneath the surface. Verse, 28, uh, verse 26, and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Now, I will just point out to you here is, the, is that the convulsing is important because there's a connection between the spirit, spiritual and the physical. And we're going to see this more as we go on in this passage. But uh, when, when we talk about Jesus' authority, we're not just talking about his authority over one, of, one or the either of those. We're not just talking about the authority over the spiritual or the authority over the physical, but we're talking about the authority that he has over both the physical and the spiritual. And that there's a real connection between those two things. So the convulsing of this, this man is coming on account of the fact that this spirit is connected with the physical. Um, and for those of you that were around last night in the worship uh, session, we talked a little bit about that as well, that the body and the spirit are connected these are the only bodies that we have. And though God will give us a new body one day, and I'm so thankful for that. At this time, this is the, these are the only bodies that we have. And there's a reason that God has put us as spirit and body. So the spirit comes out, and in 27, they were all amazed, and they questioned among themselves, what is this, a new teaching with authority? And I'll just point out there, when they say new teaching... It's not necessarily that Jesus was saying something different than what was being said all along. There's a new covenant, and yes, Jesus is teaching this new covenant of of, of Christ. Uh, but it's not in contrast to all of the things that were being taught before. There there is an idea uh, among some that well, now that the New Testament appears, the Old Testament's out, and that's that that's not right. Uh, that that's not. Jesus didn't come to throw out the Old Testament. In fact, he says. I, I didn't come to abolish the law, but, but to fulfill the law. So the new teaching, when they say new teaching, it's not necessarily that they're saying that, that Jesus is teaching something different than we've heard. But it is that they are saying that we are understanding this in a new way. We, we see now many of the things that have been taught before. There's a new covenant in Christ that causes me to view everything that came before differently. And those of you who remember well your life before Christ probably understand this this concept. When you come to know Christ, it changes everything. It changes all of the ways that you viewed yourself and the world and, and what it is that you're doing in life. The people that are listening to Jesus' teaching are saying, my eyes are opened, which again makes sense. Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind and to loosen the deaf ears and to free the captives. So there's a real sense here where the the, the saying, a new teaching with authority, it's that God is giving, yes, a new commandment, but it's not in contrast to everything that came before. It's the fulfillment of everything that came before. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. This reminds me of that time when when the disciples are on a boat with Jesus, and there's a big storm, and they're afraid. And then the and then the Jesus calms the storm, and they say, "Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him." Here they're saying, "Who is this? Even the the unclean spirits obey him." In other words, again, there's an acknowledgement that he has the authority over both the physical and the spiritual. He's the one who can who can calm and rebuke. The demons, he is the one who can calm and rebuke the storm. And many of you have storms in your life that you would like him to calm. Know that he has the authority to do so. And at once, this is verse 28, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. It's just starting his ministry, and his fame is already growing. Now Jesus actually seems to want to, to not be famous at this time, which is fascinating to me. Because again, if I'm trying to start my ministry, I'm thinking, hey, let's get the word out. would like, we'd like for you all to know what's going on here. But Jesus in his ministry was not ever about how many people he could amass. There were a few different reasons for that. One is that I think Jesus understood what might be termed the madness of crowds. <laughs> that, that crowds, when we, when we get together as big crowds, sometimes we don't think so straight. Sometimes we don't think so clearly when we get our big crowds together. And, and I think that we've seen examples of that even recently in our world. So that's one reason. But another reason is this, is that Jesus knows exactly the timing of what his ministry should look like and when he should be uh, with people and when he should not and when he's going to go to the cross. And the, the quicker that his fame grows, the quicker that he's going to be taken to the cross. So Jesus knows that it's not yet his time. And so he's saying, he, he's, he's actually resisting fame. Again, that's a person who is comfortable in their own skin, so to speak. A person who is comfortable in their own authority. That I don't have to proclaim myself in order to be able to accomplish the things that Jesus has set out to do. Remember also that he's only doing what he sees the Father do. He's only doing what the Father tells him to do. He's He's submitting his will to the Father. And so he knows... That the will of the Father is to take place, and he is submitting himself to it. In other words, there's a connection between authority and submission to God. You've heard Pastor Frank say that before. That we, we walk in God's authority as we submit ourselves to him. So if you'd like to walk in God's authority, submission to him is key. Alright, now we have this silhouette. And the reason that I appreciate so much going through that is we see this connection between God's authority and his submission to the Father, Jesus' authority and his submission to the Father. We see this connection that he has authority over both the physical and the spiritual. We see this fact that he's not intending to be famous to the masses at this time. And yet his name one day will be the name above every other name, which it is even now. And immediately, verse 29, he left the synagogue. Uh, It says immediately there because he he, he left because the fame was spreading. And and you see this over and over again in the Gospels that he withdraws when when the crowds are, are getting too large. Immediately he left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And so we've got Jesus and his disciples going to Simon and Andrew's house and there's a house call here which I think is just super cool that not only, not only is Jesus cognizant of the fact that it's not yet time for him to be with the masses but that he wants to go take this, this to somebody's house and that's a, that's a theme in the gospels as well that Jesus the salvation came to their house uh, it's a reminder to us that our households need to be places where God's salvation is our households, our whole households need to be places where God's presence resides. And Jesus brings salvation to this house, at least at this point, in the case of acknowledging who Jesus is and his authority and his healing. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. Uh, I love that this is Simon's mother-in-law. Uh because I think sometimes relationships with in-laws are funny and, uh, I love my (laughs) mother-in-law. Good, good Dottie. Dottie, good old Dottie. I love Dottie. Um, (laughs) hope one day she'll listen to this and so she knows. Um, and sometimes those relationships can be interesting dynamics as well. And I don't know if any of the rest of you have experienced the in-law dynamic in a way that is interesting. Uh, I think the reason the in-law relationship is so, I'll just, I'm not a psychologist or a sociologist or anything, but I think I can just speak to this for a moment. I think the reason that it's so inter- the in-law relationship is so interesting is because we spend all these years being raised in one house and, and, and then when you spend time with another house, it's a different world. It's a different world than the one that you grew up in. And maybe some of you are in uh, situations like that where it's, it's more smooth. It, it can range though anywhere from being like just very smooth to being like very hostile. And it seems to me that the reason is because we have a certain expectation of what the house is like and how, how we behave, what the space is like, how we spend our time together. And I think that this is interesting that it's Peter's mother-in-law that Jesus is coming to, to, to care for. Peter was a, a fisherman. He was one who was uh, making his business from catching fish and now he has given that up in order to follow this Jesus. I can imagine a situation where the mother-in-law is like, how are you going to provide at this time? Right? It doesn't say that, but I'm, I, I can imagine a situation where, where Peter's mother-in-law is, is like, who is this Jesus guy and why has my son-in-law now given up his practice to go follow him? And that dynamic probably is not lost on Jesus. So Jesus enters the house, and immediately they told Jesus about, about the fever. Now, there was a practice, I read a little bit up on this, a practice where if you had this kind of a fever in the time, there was a certain process that you would, that you would uh, partake in in order to try to heal the fever. And usually it took about three or four days, and each day you would have certain steps that you would follow in order to try to, to, to be healed. But with Jesus, these kinds of things... Aren't bound by our methods and our practices and our conveniences and the way that we would normally do things. And time and time again, Jesus is showing that his he's not bound by our traditions, which I am amazed by. And so Jesus comes in and he took her by the hand. Again, I love the personal touch that, that there is a, there's, a, there's a physical touch that's happening there that we have all but let go at this point in our lives. I'm devastated by. There's a, a physical touch, takes her by the hand, and he lifts her up. And the fever leaves her, and she begins to serve them. Immediate healing from one who has authority, because he has authority, he did, at this point, he doesn't even have to... It doesn't say that he said anything. He may have. But just by the fact that he's God... Remember, Jesus doesn't have to say anything or do anything to to, to heal. There are times that he's not even near the person. And the person is back home somewhere. And Jesus says, yeah, your, your child is healed. Uh He's not bound by our methodologies, but because He is who He is and He has the authority that He has, uh, this power and this healing resides in Him because of his who He is. And so He takes her, lifts her by the hand. I also just love the the language there that that He, that he lifts her up. He lifts her up. Because sometimes we just need to be lifted up. Yeah. And Jesus is the one to do it. He's the only one to do it. He might use somebody else to aid in that, but he's the only one that that does this, that lifts us up in this way. And I'm so thankful for that. So he lifts her up. The fever leaves her, and she goes to serving them. I love the response uh, that that's included there because, okay, I don't get sick that often, I I, sometimes I do. And hopefully I don't because I just said that. But um, when I get sick, you can ask Liz about this. When I get sick, sometimes I like to milk it a little bit. (laughs) Like because I don't get sick very often. Sometimes when I get sick, I'm like, oh, I still don't feel very well. I got to watch a little bit more basketball. I, 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 I like, kind of like to milk it because it, when it, it doesn't happen very often and I go pretty hard most of the year. When I get sick, um, I usually like to just stay down for a little while. And this is awesome because she, she immediately starts to serve the guests. And the idea here is that when Jesus heals us and frees us, he frees us for something. When he heals us, he heals us so that we are to be used by him for his purposes. She didn't wait or waste any time, but she she, she knew that Jesus, the Son of God, who has authority and who has set her free, is here, and I'm going to respond with obedience and service. And I think that there's a lesson there for us, too, that Jesus has set us free so that we might serve him. Jesus has set us free so that we might obey him, has set us free that so that we might participate in the work that he's doing. And Peter's mother-in-law is, is no different. I'll just wrap up our passage here. That evening at sundown, they brought him to him, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. So, So as the sun is going down, there are all sorts of people coming to the door of this house And the whole city is gathered here here at the home. And they didn't come in, but they're at the door and he's healing many who were sick with diseases and casting out demons. And he wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew him. Again, he, he's not giving the authority to them to even speak because he knows his timeline. And yet he's freeing people left and right of both physical and spiritual affliction. I just want to point out to you that this personal God cares for each of you as individuals despite the fact that he is the famous one. There, the masses aren't going to keep him from connecting with you personally. Personally. And I so appreciate this authority of Jesus over both the spiritual and the physical and that he cares for us in this way. Let me just read for you uh, a passage here in uh, Ephesians 6. Two things that I just want, you don't have to turn to Ephesians 6 yet. There were There were three other passages that came to my mind that we don't have a ton of time for, but... One was in, in in Psalm 103 verse 13 it says that the Lord has compassion on those who fear him and I thought to myself that that if, if I want God's compassion in my life there's a connection there with me fearing him which doesn't mean the same thing as 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 sort of being af- afraid of him although although there's a connection there because there are many things that we fear, but if we fear God above anything else, we won't be as afraid of the other stuff. He has compassion on those that he fears, or that 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 we that fear him. And if I want God's compassion, it starts with a proper understanding of who He is and His authority. A second thing that I thought thought through uh, was this concept that our battle is not against flesh and and blood. And so let's read that real quick in Ephesians 6. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God That you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day and, having done all, to stand firm. And then it goes through the whole armor of God. I think it's important for us to understand that our battle isn't isn't just what we can see, and these physical realities that we deal with, but there, there's a deeper battle that wa- wages war that is spiritual, and we praise God because He has authority over both the physical and the and the spiritual. This time, I want to invite Liz, uh, if she would, uh, to just share a couple of of follow up comments. Um, My thought with this is just that each week we would hear from somebody um, to give just a little bit of like further thoughts on application. And uh, so Liz, I don't know if you have something to to look at there, but as you read this passage, what are some things that that really um, jump out to you regarding God's authority and the physical and the spiritual, the personal nature of his his relationship with us. What what stands out to you?
2: Yeah, well thanks for letting me talk. We've got a microphone, so you don't really have a choice to you. <laughs> Just kidding. Um you know, I think we tend to try to split up the physical and the spiritual a lot. And um put this thing in this box and this thing in this box and just pretend like they're not related. And that's just clearly not true. We see that first with the demon-possessed man, you know, running into the building. Obviously, the demon is spiritual, and yet it's impacting him physically. And I think that's really powerful to recognize how much the spiritual does truly impact um, the physical. So... I'm just gonna look at my notes for a minute here. Um, Jesus cast out the demon, which is spiritual in nature, and the man is restored, and the man is made whole again, both spiritually, but also physically. Um, we don't, I don't know how many of you tend to see demon-possessed people, you know, running around. That's That doesn't feel very common in our culture, um, and but it was more common in their culture. To see that and to witness that, and that impacted the person physically. Um, they couldn't, you know, interact with society in a normal way. They were just completely overcome by this spiritual being. So, it's really important that um, that we recognize how powerful the spiritual is to our physical. And did you have a comment?
0: Yeah. No. I think that's. I think that's super helpful that we do try to divide we, we try to divide those two things. No, this is just a physical problem or this is just a spiritual problem, but we're not taking into account the, the entirety of, of who we are and, and how God's made us. Right. That's helpful.
2: Um, and then just that our physical actions can sort of re- reversely also impact the spiritual. So, um, For example, if I'm having a hard day emotionally or a hard day spiritually and I'm just sort of, you know, grouchy, I can do things physically, like speaking, using my words, Anne and I talk a lot about this, using my words to proclaim God's goodness, using my words or my voice to sing in praise and in worship. And I'm doing sort of these physical acts, but that impacts me spiritually, that changes Um, how I think, how I feel. God uses that to work in me. Um, And so if the Holy Spirit's residing in me, I can, I can allow him to work. I can allow him to move. Um, And that, that impacts my overall physical well-being. And that includes psychological and emotional as well.
0: Yeah, we, this was something that actually too. Again, that we discussed a little bit last night at the worship thing is that the the way that we repeat praises on our lips is a formational thing for us, where where as we're saying these things, the reality of them sinks in to the rest of us, and and so there is there is a way where our physical does also impact the spiritual. I appreciate that too. What else? Anything else?
2: Um, yeah. You. The second question was about. Um. The authority and the compassion being connected, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was thinking about that. Um, what if Jesus had authority but he didn't have compassion? Like, would he would he have bothered to heal anybody? Or what if he had the compassion, but he didn't have the authority? It's like you know, oh, sorry about your demon. You know, I don't know. Like, so there's just. That that compassion and that authority together really fueled and empowered his ministry and made him just capable and able to do things on the spot. And I was thinking, too, like, how intense would it be to be up here preaching and someone with a demon, like, runs in and starts screaming? Like, that's a pretty intense situation. But Jesus is dealing with those things all the time, and then he immediately leaves and heals Peter's mother-in-law and how could he do that if he wasn't submitting to the Father all the time? you know he says i'm I'm always listening to the Father. I'm always doing what the Father tells me to do, and being led by the Spirit. so he's so connected to the Lord to God at every moment. Jesus is so connected to the to God and the Spirit at every moment that he's able to walk in that authority and and just do things as they come up in mo- just moment by moment. and I just think that's really. Just incredible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's another picture of the Trinity that, that Frank's been talking about more recently as well. I mean, he's been talking about it for a long time, but <laughs> specifically recently I've heard Frank discussing this idea of the Trinity deferring to one another and submitting one another to one another in a way that is really a beautiful uh, thing. Yeah. Any, uh, did you have any thoughts about just the fact that, that Jesus cares for like the whole person? Like uh, there's, there's a sense here where to me it seems like, um, God wants, God wants all of us, not just sort of our, our physical self or our mental self or our emotional self. Like he wants the whole, the whole package. Do you have any, any thoughts there?
2: Well, I think that, like I said, sort of before, it's, we can't really divide and divide those things up. You know, my thoughts impact the way I carry out my day. So that would be sort of physical or my emotions impact my words sometimes or, um, just different things like that. So those things aren't really divided up and categorized the way that we sort of want to do that with ourselves. And I think obviously God knows that he created us. And so when he works in one, it it's like a domino effect to the other things. Mm. Um, so he cast out the demon and someone is healed physically as well. So he works spiritually and then physically were restored. Or he works physically, especially with, let's say, someone who maybe didn't believe and he heals them physically. That's going to impact them spiritually. That's going to maybe open up a door to them believing. And so all those things, he can work through any one of those things in his timing the way he wants to. Um, but it's not going to just impact that one part of us. It's truly going to impact all of us.
0: That's good. Yeah, C.S. Lewis used to say that uh, he doesn't want to just uh, redecorate one of your rooms. He wants to tear down the whole house and build build a new house. And I think that's why also the scripture says that, that he takes out our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, that it's a complete, complete renovation of, of, of who we are. Awesome. Thanks, Liz. I appreciate the, the, the thoughts. Uh, What I'd like to do at this point is give you about 10 minutes to to speak together at your tables to discuss a little bit. And there's some options for some questions there that you might discuss. Uh, But sometimes the best discussion comes when you kind of go off script. And so don't feel like you have to stick to these questions, Um, but would invite you at this time to discuss for about 10 minutes at your table, a little bit about how these things hit you. Um, And then in, in 10 minutes, I'll direct us to spend a few minutes praying at the end. Uh, but want to also let you know um, that we've got uh, next week, the, uh, there's a woman who's a widow whose son has died and that Jesus is going to raise the son from the dead. And so that's a, our passage for next week for you to look ahead at. But for now, 10 minutes to talk together um, and then we'll pray together at the end as well.